I really think that we can honor these people and tell their stories in a lot better way. So I hope you will permit me to do that. And if you don't, we'll turn off the podcast and uh, go mow your lawn or something. But we're going to be talking about the women. Uh, today, I'm going to do a little short bio on Brigham Young's, quote, famous wife, Amelia Folsom. And like I said, we're going to kind of bounce around. What I'd like to do is talk about some of the history, um, the general history going on with the practice and the church, and then we'll like go back and talk about individual wives, and then we'll go on and talk general, and then we'll talk about individuals. I've got some great interviews, like I said, coming up, and I'm excited to talk more about the wives of John D. Lee, Brigham Young, Joseph F. Smith, Orson Pratt. There are just too many to name, um, and hopefully they won't become wives of some male authority figure. They'll become people in their own right, and you'll know them for their names and who they are. So today we're going to talk about Amelia Folsom because she is fascinating. She is sort of this celebrity tabloid figure of the 18th century, like like many of the 19th century, of like many Mormons were. She she's a very interesting figure. Of course, she was called Brigham's pet or Brigham's favorite wife. But let's let's see if we can dig a little deeper and see what we can find out about her. Um. Her full name is Harriet Amelia Folsom, and she was born in Buffalo, New York in 1838. And when, when she was still very young, her parents were sort of touched by the message of the gospel and converted in February of 1842. And the story goes, the apocryphal story goes, that the Niagara River that they were baptized in was so cold at the time of the year that they had to cut holes in the river, in the ice, to perform the ceremony. And, of course, this story is told as like a testament to their commitment of being baptized because they were baptized in this icy river. It's said that Amelia was beautiful to look at. And, of course, we have pictures of her, so you can look at those as well, and I'll post them on the site. And if you're if you're listening on iTunes, this is just, sorry to cut in, but this is just a reminder, visit the site. The site has links, the site has PDFs, and the site has images to start and further your study because, again, it would be really irresponsible of you as a listener just to listen to what I'm saying and take my word for it and not dig deeper because I come from a positionality of where I come from and that's with my own biases and my own experiences and my own frame of reference, but you should really do the same and do your own research. So visit the site to do that. So there will be a picture of Amelia Folsom. It's said that she had this light brown hair and the hazel eyes that she inherited from her grandmother. She had stature and poise and a good sense of humor. And that was supposedly, you know, came from her father. And she had the tenacity to endure from her mother. Now, she was educated by her mother, Zervia Eliza Dark Folsom, who was trained as a school teacher. And she also taught Amelia how to read and play the piano. And she... Amelia became this accomplished pianist. She was the first of seven children, and she was supposed to be like the second mother to these children. So she had this well-rounded society sort of upbringing. She would have made the perfect society wife for someone who was looking for that. It was said that she had three younger mischievous brothers, and she sort of helped her mom conquer these three brothers. And she loved taking care of her baby sister, Frances, and she fashioned a lot of these beautiful little articles for the baby. It's said that when the baby Frances Emily was born, she was so tiny that dainty clothing had to be laid aside and her bed 
for some time was a shoebox. And so Amelia would have helped her mom with that. Again, these are all anecdotes that come from family histories and family legends that are sort of passed on. Her father, William Harrison Folsom, was one of the, quote, joiners or carpenters, and he would be very involved with masonry and, and helping finish the Navi Temple so that the saints could perform the endowment ceremonies before they left the city. So they were a Nauvoo family. They were involved in building the temple, and of course she would have been young then. But they remained in Nauvoo until most of the saints had left because they were saving and wanted to save up all their means until they headed west. They eventually made their way to Farmington, Illinois, where they would find themselves kind of in a rut. They had no food or clothing or means of transportation. They're losing, you know, whatever wealth they had, and they couldn't really join the rest of the saints. It's said that the persecutors of the Mormons also arrive in Farmington, Illinois, and it's said that they tried to kill her father by hanging him, but they only succeeded in rendering him unconscious, and his friends managed to revive him. So you can imagine what a traumatic event that was to have your father sort of taken away and then hung. Um, so the family then moves to Kukuk, Iowa, where they had a few possessions and eventually save their money so they can join the other saints in the Great Basin. It's said that William Folsom was offered some opportunities in the gold rush, and so he headed to the gold fields by the way of Panama, and his construction skills were actually more profitable than his mining efforts, so he he returned to construction. The Folsom family would arrive in Utah in 1860. They arrived in the Joseph W. Young Company by an ox cart. And by then, Amelia is about 22 years old. And of course, it is said that the day she arrives, she attracts the attention of Brigham Young. She's beautiful. She's a little tired and trail-worn. And, you know, Brigham had over 20 other wives at this point. The number that Amelia would be was about 25. She was about 25. In Amelia's words, she said, quote, I was aware that he was the husband of a number of wives. I did not care to know how many, but that did not affect our courtship in the least. President Young was naturally dignified, but was always at ease with company, end quote. So it said that in the evening, the early spring of 1861, shortly after their arrival in 1860, Mr. Folsom, her dad, his wife Eliza, Amelia, and Hiram were all invited to attend a performance in the Boeing Theater. Here they were entertained along with the families of Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball, and they wined and dined this family, and Amelia would become the piano teacher for some of President Young's children. She... Brigham Young didn't marry her right away. He would marry her on January 24th, 1863, after this long sort of romantic courtship. And she would go reside in his home after just seven months um, after her marriage. Amelia's mother, Eliza, who was really young, she was only 44, died the lingering effects of being pregnant. Um, she, I guess she had some pregnancy complications that would take her life. And so her two younger sisters, Amelia's younger sisters, were sent to live with their older sister. And so her siblings are kind of like spread out. Her brother Hiram and Burdett and Hinman assisted their father in working as a church architect and contractor. And like Jeffrey Johnson said in his interview about Brigham Young, Brigham Young is establishing connections with the family. So he 
you know, whether the thing happened with Martha Brotherton or not, Brigham knew better than just to always approach a stranger. He built relationships with family. That was the way that Joseph did it. Joseph would build relationships with family and then sort of become more comfortable with the woman he was courting. So he marries Amelia Folsom. And of course, this is in open defiance in 1863 of the increased pressure, which we're going to talk about soon. We're going to have a timeline of the sort of laws and legislation surrounding polygamy. And it was said that that month there was a warrant for Brigham Young's arrest that was issued on the charge of polygamy. And it said the armed citizens gathered in Temple Square where it was rumored that the military would arrest this Mormon leader. A writ was served by Marshal Isaac L. Gibbs, and Brigham Young posted bond, and there was this ugly confrontation that everyone was, like, steaming up for that was avoided because he posted bond. In March of that same year, there was a cannon that was fired from Camp Douglas, and the citizens around mistakenly took the firing as a possible attack, when the real reason that the fire, that the cannon was launched was to celebrate the Colonel Connor's promotion to Brigadier General. And so this shows that the tensions between the two groups are mounting. And they eventually subside. This is during when, you know, the Mormon Reformation has happened and now this, the threat of federal government is happening. And of course, we're, you know, we're into the Civil War and we're going to talk about all of that soon. She marries Brigham Young and this gives her instant celebrity instant prominent social status. And she had creature comforts that other women in the territory would never attain, even some of Brigham's own wives. At every church meeting and every social event, she would receive deference. She was the wife of the prophet, but she wasn't just a wife of the prophet. She was the wife of the prophet. And she was sort of known for this regal presence and her expensive taste in clothes. You know, as soon as she got married, she she used to be Harriet Amelia Folsom, but she drops Harriet from her name since Brigham had two other wives named Harriet. So just, you know, for convenience sake. Like many of the youngest plural wives in Mormon households, Amelia would be soon tagged as the favorite wife. And she was most often chosen to be the hostess for Brigham Young's most prominent guests. She was cultured. She was beautiful. She was refined. She was funny. And she didn't have children. He allowed her the luxury of having gowns made from the most expensive imported fabrics. Now, this is interesting because, as we talked about in the past, and I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, Brigham Young was encouraging local industry. You know, they're starting the silk industry. So he's making many of his wives wear and buy locally, and yet Amelia gets to import her gowns. And so I'm sure that would cause some speculation and some tension at the time. Her sister wives often rationalized that favoritism was a compensation for her inability to have children. And we can see how the practice of polygamy sort of pits women against each other in this way, because if uh, polygamy is known for how many children you can have, that's that's one part of how this sort of patriarchal order really gives women soft power to compete in these sort of ways, like how many children they have, or how beautiful they are, or what tasks they can bring to the family. It's how they gain status. So these women would say, well, it's because she can't have children, and so she's able to do all these things. Now, she was this role, she played this role of hostess for Brigham Young. She would appear fashionable to all these dignitaries coming to visit Brigham Young, and there were many people that would come to visit Brigham Young. 
And she was not like his other wives had assignments. They had, they had routine assignments, but Amelia was not, was not assigned routine tasks in his commercial enterprises. She never had to work at the forest farm or the young store. Um, and if you go to the Brigham Young room in the Pioneer Museum in Utah, there hangs this beautifully tinted likeness of Amelia Folsom Young. And there's also this case that has some of her personal belongings, and you can see a miniature replica of the Gardo house that was, you know, said to make for her. And if you haven't listened to the Houses of Brigham Young episode, you need to listen to that so you can hear more about this sort of, quote, Amelia's Palace, a term that was coined by the press uh, that was made for her. It was said she had exquisite taste. There are five lovely shawls in this display, a large black lace, a red silk embroidered and fringed, white silk also embroidered, and two small lace shawls. And there are collars of this intricate lace and beadwork and elegant fans and other beautiful accessories. It's really worth, if you come to Salt Lake, don't miss the Daughters of the Utah Pioneer Museum. It's right next to the Capitol, and it's just this quiet little building, and there's these sweet elderly women that work there who are very committed to this, and they are just, it's just wonderful. And you can go in the back room, and if you have a Pioneer ancestor, you give them the name of your ancestor, and they will pull out a file and have this, you know, these family histories on your on your ancestor. It's really cool. So, um... Stories were told by various wives of Brigham Young, stating that Brigham Young and Amelia would have dinners at separate tables from the rest of the wives, and she would eat delicacies that were not served the rest of the wives and the children. However, at Amelia Folsom Young's funeral, Richard W. Young, son of Brigham Young, stated, quote, she had the love of every member of the family. And this was echoed by many people like Heber J. Grant, who also stating that Brigham Young's wives loved his young wife. So there's some question and controversy. Again, when Amelia was around, uh, the press would jump on this. They would jump on this idea that she was the favorite. And of course, there's these dime novels and there's these um, tabloid articles written and they were absolutely scandalized and sensationalized that Amelia was this person. But in reality, she might have just been a normal other wife that Brigham Young depended on to play her part to in the family. We do know that she was privileged to travel extensively with Brigham, and even apart from him. She was chosen to be his companion in the famous 1864 excursion through the settlements of southern Utah, and you will see every once in a while in someone's journal the mention of her coming, and it was this big regal affair, and she wore these beautiful dresses, as many of the saints in the South are starving. So that, you know, is quite the con- contrast. Um, this this expedition in 1864 included several other high-ranking church leaders, their wives, and some young adults, such as two of Brigham Young's daughters, who were about Amelia's same age. And there was a ten, also a ten-member brass band, which played each evening, except for the Sabbath, that was allowed for dancing and entertaining. Brigham Young and his traveling companions were entertained elaborately with parades and festive parties in each settlement during the month of September. And in the in an article in the Salt Lake Tribune, which of course was a Gentile magazine, Amelia denied being the quote favorite wife. However, in the next sentence, she acknowledged her exceptional opportunities for extensive travel. Now, I talked earlier about Emmeline Free, and we're gonna uh, Corey Howard, who's fantastic. She's coming on in um, 
a couple episodes to talk about Emmeline Free, but Emmeline Free was the supposed favorite and was supposedly replaced by Amelia Folsom. As Mary Ann, one of Brigham Young's wives, put it, quote, the torments of the damned affected Emmeline Free over being displaced by Brigham Young's younger wife, Amelia Folsom. And there's a famous story when a friend asked one of Mary Ann's daughters if it did not grieve her mother to see Young's devotion to his new wife. She replied, quote, mother does not care. This, remember, this is someone talking to Mary Ann, another wife. So Marianne, quote, mother does not care. She is past being grieved by his conduct. But on the other hand, it gives her most intense satisfaction to see Emmeline suffer as she does. She can understand now what mother had to undergo in past years. In fact, all the women are glad that Emmeline is getting her turn at last, end quote. And that's a story that, that talks about the sort of jealousy. Of course, it's a secondhand source. And that's important to note. But I will share a little anecdote that's sort of related. So... Since doing this series, I've had some wonderful opportunities to talk to um, practicing polygamists and fundamentalists because I really want to present a fair and balanced view of the practice. And I know we've talked about a lot of hard things that are hard to digest, but uh, we're going to be talking to them later on now that we're extending this, probably in the late future. But um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a practicing fundamentalist and she was relating to me a story of their family and the jealousies that that um, happened there. And I was telling her of this anecdote from Emmeline Free and the other wives being really happy that Emmeline Free was sad. And I was, you know, I was lamenting like, that's really sad. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. I really need some balance. And she said, oh, well, actually, in our family, it's the same sort of thing when father married the youngest wife. At the time, the other two were really upset. When father married the fourth wife, the third wife was really upset, and the two older wives were so happy to watch her be upset. And I was like, well, that's terrible because aren't, you know, isn't there this family that, you know, don't they care for the feelings of the other person? And she said, yeah, but it's really complicated. Uh, it's really hard to go your whole life and see your whole marriage and see a woman treated a certain way and have that used against you. And then when you, when it happens to her, it's really hard not to be happy about that. So I just, I felt like that was an interesting contrast, a sort of interesting parallel, if you will, to the story of Emmeline Free to know that that's still happening in practicing fundamentalism sometimes. Of course, that is just one story of many, and we hope to bring on the fuller picture. I've got, I've talked to Ann Wild, and she has given me a lot of resources, and hopefully we'll bring a balanced picture. Anyway, back to Amelia Folsom. So her obituary describes her life as, quote, She led among the women for many years and in many circles, traveled extensively in Utah and surrounding states, had entertained many distinguished tourists and guests of President Young, was well-read, possessed a queenly appearance and striking personality, and was true to the end. Of course, you know... There's a lot of talk about the Gardo House. So after Brigham Young dies, the Gardo House belongs to the church, right? The Gardo House was a supposed palace that he built for her. And of course, the word Amelia's Palace did not come from her or the church that came from uh, the press and people that would move into the home. President Taylor did not want to move in, but he moved in reluctantly. He puts $30,000 into new furnishings, and he briefly uses it as his official residence. And then, of course... 
as we talk about in the Gargo House podcast, it falls into Gentile hands, if you will. Um, so I was really curious because we know about the Gardo house, but what happens to Amelia Folsom after the death of Brigham Young? And, uh, we do know that it was her wish to remain near her father's family. And it said that her father gave her the corner lot of his estate, uh, which was built according to her needs and with her wishes. And this home would continue to be a place and had many family parties. And Amelia made her way often to her father's house and helped him with his arthritis. And I just, you know, I was looking for sources to find what people were saying about her because people were writing about her. So this is from um, a book called The Tragedy of the Mormon Woman by Marian Bonsall. And this is a book, um, I will see if I can link it online. This book was written in, uh, 1908. Okay, so this is, this is what she says of Amelia Folsom, quote, Mrs. Amelia Folsom is honored today by an immense number, number of friends and acquaintances. Sometime after her husband's death, Mrs. Young sold the property known as Amelia's Palace to her church and moved to less pretentious but extremely comfortable home, on a quiet, shady street in Salt Lake City. It was my privilege to talk to Mrs. Young in her very attractive library, and I have carried with me since then her memory as that of a handsome woman, dignified and gracious, in every way a gentlewoman. Mrs. Young's home is thoroughly comfortable and, above all, homelike. Books, pictures, and flowers abound. Its mistress is exceedingly fond of flowers and had just finished superintending the replanting of some vines when she entered the room. In the course of our conversation, we discussed various likenesses of President Young. Mrs. Young always spoke of her husband by that title, and she expressed a distaste for the photo photograph usually reproduced in church books and on souvenir postal cards. This picture, said Mrs. Young, walking over to a large square piano, over which was hung a framed portrait of the famous Brigham, is the only good real likeness of President Young in existence. If you will follow me into the library, I will show you a picture of the wives and daughters of the President in which you may be interested. End quote. There's this place of honor on the wall with a large framed pho photograph of the wives and their daughters in which Mrs. Amelia Folsom Young was, of course, included. The photograph has been taken, she said, at one of the reunions of the family, which are still continued by the surviving members. Several of President Young's wife had died since then, she said, and now there are only five of us. Miss Twist Young, Miss Margaret Pierce Young, Miss Harriet Barney Young, Miss Eliza B. Young, and myself. At least once a year, Miss Amelia Folsom Young entertains the other wives and their children at her home by, specially, by special invitation. All of the other branches of the family are on the most friendly terms, and the members visit among each other frequently. As I stated in a former chapter, I asked Mrs. Young if plural marriage could be an influence towards peace and righteousness in a home which lacked the advantages of refinement as well as of money. Her answer was that it had been such an influence in her life, end quote. So that's a fascinating little anecdote. I'm going to read you another anecdote from another book. This book is called the Tyranny of Mormonism, or an English Woman in Utah, an autobiography of Mrs. T.B. Stenhouse and Harriet, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Okay, so this is, of course, written by Fanny Stenhouse. So, this is Amelia Folsom Young. Amelia Folsom Young is now the favorite, and it is supposed that she will continue to be so, for at last poor brother Brigham has found a woman who he stands in dread. It is doubtful whether he loves her, 
but nobody in Zion doubts that he fears her. It is said that the prophet has confided so many of his secrets to Amelia that he is obliged to submit to her tyranny, for fear of her leaving him and exposing some of his little ways which would not bear the light. Be that as it may, it is generally believed that after all his matrimonial alliances, he has at last found his master in the person of Amelia. Even good saints, friends of the prophet, secretly enjoy the idea of him being at last brought under petticoat government, for it is believed that Brigham used unfair means to obtain her, and that at last he only gained his object by deluding her into the belief that the Lord had revealed to him that it was her duty to become his wife. One thing is very certain. He was as crazy over her as a silly, silly boy over his first love, much to the disgust of his more sober brethren, who felt rather ashamed of the folly of their leader. At the theater, a seat was reserved for her at his side, and in the ballroom, the same special attention was shown to her. He would open the ball, and after dancing with each of his other wives who might be present, simply for appearance sake, the, reminder, the remainder of the evening was devoted to her. For all that, his inconstant heart could not remain faithful to her, and old habits and feelings to all appearances have come over again, and, and he has gone astray. Julia Dean, the actress, was first to draw him from Amelia's side, and it would have been a sorry day for Amelia if Julia had favored the prophet's suit. Then the charms of Mary Van Cott touched his sensitive heart to say nothing of Eliza Ann, his last but yet not his best beloved. With all these experiences and the constant evidences of the fickleness of Brother Brigham's heart before her eyes, there is no wonder that the poor Amelia feels compelled to hold tight the reins now that they are in her own hands. For if it is not much known to, to be known as Brigham's wife, it is a great deal to be known as his favorite. As for the future, it is whispered that Brother Brigham has been setting his house in order, and the ordinary course of nature, Amelia is almost certain to outlive for many years her aged lord. She therefore can afford to wait for the good time coming, but Amelia knows that she would sink into oblivion if he were to cast her off for another before his death. Now, of course, this shows the contrast, the two narratives between it and uh, Mrs. T.B.H. Stenhouse. So she was the wife of T.B.H. Stenhouse, who was an early Mormon pioneer missionary, and he later became a Godbyite. And so Fanny becomes this really vocal opponent of the church and, you know, publishes these sort of Mormon epics talk talking about this. So that was her take on Amelia Folsom. And you can imagine what that was like. Um, being married and having that written about you in those times. Let me tell you what another contemporary said of her. This is Mrs. Emmeline B. Wells. You might have heard of her. She would say, quote, Mrs. Young was finally attached to her home and took great pleasure in beautifying the grand grounds, cultivating flowers and vines, and keeping her lawn fresh and green as well as the interior of her house. She had a number of unique and valuable ornaments collected while abroad, also gifts of friends and visitors. While not a public woman, yet she was very popular in society and much admired and sought after. The history of her family is very interesting, and her own life from a very young girl is replete with romantic incidents. But she was reticent about herself. Perhaps one of the causes of her popularity was her queenly appearance and striking personality. She sang and played the old-time songs and was a splendid musician and a very fine partner in a ballroom. She always dressed in excellent taste. She was a graceful, charming woman and possessed many of the characteristics of true womanhood. 
end quote. She also says Amelia suffered from what is known as creeping paralysis for about three years. Being in more or less helpless condition was a severe trial to her because she was deprived of the pleasure of entertaining friends and of the delights of outdoor life. She died the 11th of December, 1910, aged 72, and is buried in the Brigham Young family plot in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Um, you know, Richard W. Young, the son, would also say President Young's health was enfeebled on account of an onerous life and he needed great care. Aunt Amelia came in when the family, into the family when he was nearly 60 years of age. She was a natural nurse and performed the duties expected to her in a most praiseworthy manner. He found her in a perfect companion and as she had the capacity and the mentality to grasp the trials and problems of this day, end quote. So, so we have, you know, these contemporaries, these are what they're saying about her. Everyone is saying, by all accounts, she was beautiful, she kept a good home, and she was exquisitely dressed. And I imagine that is how Amelia valued herself. She found value, she found power in doing this. This is how she saw her role, even after Brigham Young's death. It's clear she saw her role in the family as the hostess. She would bring these these uh, families together. Of course... Richard W. Young, the son, would say this, quote, From these incidences came the report that Amelia was President Young's favorite wife. He looked with some anxiety upon her appearance. As the years grew on, however, the family learned to love her. She was just and fair, and I can truthfully say that she had the love of every member of the family. Amelia was truly a magnetic and queenly personality and of superior intelligence. She was capable of meeting any man or woman on earth on an equal footing, she had the advantage of excellent home training. She was tall and queenly, end quote. You know, you can judge for yourself how this was treated. I imagine it's both. I don't, I don't think it's either or. I think it's and. I think, I think she was beautiful and beloved. And I think that the women struggled with this because she was so beloved. As a side note, um, when I was researching her, I'm part of the Levitt family. And of course, I know many of you out there are part of the Levitt family. There are plenty of Levitts that are Mormons. Um, but I was reading, uh, I was researching and the Levitts have this like huge obsession with family history and they keep all of these records and they have all these family reunions based on family, based on family history. And so I'm, you know, I'm reading about Amelia Folsom and I come up on this name uh, this Levitt name, Hannah Claire Levitt Wood, who is a very direct ancestor of me. And so I go onto their website and I read about this, and this is what the, their website says, quote, One day in the late 1950s or early 1960s, Dean Quincy Levitt, grandson of John Quincy Levitt, was reading the book The 27th Wife, written by one of Brigham Young's wives. In it, she stated that Amelia had married John Quincy Levitt in the Lion House, on August 15th, 1878, approximately one year after Brigham Young's death, she references a notice written in the New York Times on August 26, 1878. Dean Quincy Levitt continued to research this and verified that the notice was, in fact, in the New York Times. It was later verified that an article had also been written in the Salt Lake Tribune on August 18, 1878. Dean Quincy Levitt also asked his Aunt Claire, Hannah Claire Levitt Wood, who is my ancestor, the last surviving daughter of John Quincy Levitt, if it was true, and she said yes, but the family never talked about it. And um, I love that little piece because that suggests that Amelia married again, and she married 
the Levitt. So I haven't uh, dug in further to see if that's true. But if that is, that's kind of a big deal that she would have married a Levitt and my ancestor. And, you know, I was talking to my mom about it and my grandma and saying, you know, Hannah Claire Levitt Young said we'd never talk about it. And my grandma actually verified that story. She said, oh, yeah, you know, we have the story that he did marry one of the Weiser Brigham Youngs, but they never talked about it. And I said, well, what was that about? Was it secretive? What what was going on with that? And she said, well, you know, polygamy was taboo. And, of course, Amelia Folsom was this public figure, and they um, didn't like that. But also Hannah Claire was said to have been kind of ornery about her. And so I don't know the true story there, but that's an interesting, interesting piece. I'm going to read this to you. This is an article that appeared in the Daily Argus News, April 27, 1894. So in 1894, she is still being written about in the papers. And I'm going to link this article. This is great. It says, quote, favorite wife of the Mormon prophet. She still resides in Salt Lake City and believes in the practice of polygamy, chats with the correspondent for the first time. And then they talk about her, and uh, it's great. They have these sketches of her, and um, I'll just I'll just give you this quote from it. It was on October third, eighteen sixty, when in the company with Heber Kimball, he came out into Salt Lake City Valley in a carriage to meet and welcome our party. She's talking about Brigham Young. I was introduced to him then, and after arriving here, he called on us. The call was returned, and we subsequently visited back and forth frequently and went to social gatherings together. When did your courtship begin? The reporter asks. Immediately after my arrival in Salt Lake. How long did it last? The reporter asks. Until August 1862, when we were engaged. In January 1863, the marriage occurred. And then the reporter says, Amelia Folsom Young appears but seldom in public since the death of her husband, but is not on this account a recluse. She is still as popular in the private gatherings in the old Mormon society circles as she once was in the public events occurring in the younger circles. So I'll link that. That's a really fun thing to check out. And I just, I just think it's so, so cool that you can go and still find these sites. Um, there's also, there's a book called Devotees in Their Shrines, a handbook of Utah art. And they talk about, Amelia Folsom Young and how her father's architect work inspired her to be really good at decorating homes and how, you know, the Garter, Gardo house was influenced and how her father helped build the Salt Lake Theater and all these interesting, interesting buildings. So I'll link all of that. And like I said, there's further reading. It's like solving a mystery, doing this history. It's like solving a mystery. Yeah, there's there's just so many, there's so many great things. Again, if you want to know more about Amelia, make sure you listen to the Houses of Polygamy podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you've gotten a glimpse into who she was. And remember, these are just pieces of a puzzle. So we can't really form an opinion on these people with just a few pieces. So my hope is that you will get excited about this and you will go honor these people by finding some more puzzle pieces. So thank you so much for listening uh, to another episode of Feminist Brown Housewives podcast. If you feel so inclined, I would really appreciate a donation. I just really appreciate you listening and I can't wait uh, for the fun episodes that are coming up. We have so many great episodes. So uh, thanks for listening for another episode of the Year of Polygamy on the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast.